Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Good afternoon. Happy Friday, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Renewables. We are very appreciative of Mark Reedy, who is back on the show uh, for his second episode. And um, we're really excited to have Mark back uh, from Kilpatrick Townsend in Stockton. Uh, just a, a wealth of knowledge about the energy industry, um, you know, all the way across the board. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming back on the show. How have you been? Uh, I've been doing great, uh, David. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I'm, as you can see, I'm in my basement. Uh, this is a new podcast location for us. So I have a, a baby girl on the way any day here. And so, um, yeah, I'm hanging out at home for a couple of weeks and uh, really appreciate you coming back on the show. You've had a big, a big career win um, uh, for the industry. And so I really want to get into that and talk about uh, some of the issues that you were able to solve uh, through some legislation here recently. But before we get into that, uh, I think when we last spoke was just before the election. And uh, obviously, you know, we're not really a political show, but, um, you know, new administration in Washington, D.C., and a ton of emphasis on renewable energy already. So just thought um, there's nobody better than you to touch on that. Before we get into that, though, tell us, our viewers and listeners, in case they missed your first episode, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and uh, your career and and how you ended up where you are today. Well, great. Uh, thanks, David. And um, so my name's Mark Reedy. I'm a partner at uh, Kilpatrick Townsend in Stockton. I uh, chair the um, energy uh, project finance practice at the firm. Uh, I'm a 45-year international uh, project finance lawyer and private placement lawyer in energy, chemicals, and infrastructure. And I've worked uh, in international in scope in that I've worked in 65-plus uh, countries, worked on every continent. And I lived out in Asia doing all these types of projects uh, for eight years. Uh, six plus years in India, two plus years in China, and uh, continue to do a lot of international work on top of what I'm, uh, I'm doing in the United States. I'm uh, on the, uh, one of the founders of ACOR, the American Council of, on Renewable Energy and 18 years of general counsel. I'm on the board of advisors of the uh, Renewable Natural Gas Coalition and I'm on the finance committees of the many of the electric electricity um, associations, trade organizations, and I'm the uh, general counsel of the Alternative Fuels and Chemicals Coalition (AFCC) that was uh, materially involved in what we did with DOE and the Congress. So. Let's dive in a little bit to some of the changes in Washington, D.C. There's obviously a lot of people talking uh, about, you know, 
how far this is going to go. And um, I don't think we're going to get the Green New Deal, but there, I think it's safe to say that that there's a, a lot of emphasis on the renewable energy industry, renewable gas, and on the electricity side. Um, so just for a minute or two, comment on the landscape and how it's changed and sort of how big of an impact do you think that's going to have on the industry? Uh, well, first of all, I think it's going to have a major impact uh, with the Biden administration and the uh, uh, having uh, all three um, major sectors of the government run by um, House, Senate, and administration run by one party. Yeah. Um, hopefully, um, uh, they can work together a little bit. And by the Biden administration is uh, is bound and determined to um, to really get the renewable energy um, industry stood up. It has been being stood up for a number of years and uh, but you know they're trying to do things like a, a clean energy standard um, a uh, going to electric vehicles uh, on a very uh, major way and um, and to get these programs going uh, uh, continue the tax incentives that have assisted the industry uh, create new ones and in the extensions actually extend them and the new ones for <clears throat> a considerable period of time so that there's not the stops and starts that have been historically associated with sure. to get these projects up. Sure. So with respect to a clean energy standard uh, beyond electric vehicles, I think the U.S. government you know, has announced now that all their vehicles will be electric. And, and that's obviously a big deal. But beyond that, um, just talk about you know, what that could look like um, when you say clean energy standard. Uh, dig into that a little bit. Well, it, it hasn't been uh, laid out yet. So the devil's in the details. But sure. You know, I would expect that uh, there will be things, uh, you know, like in the um, in the bioeconomy. You know, there's been talk about revising the um, the RFS, making it more predictable. You know, and RFS is renewable fuel standard. That's yep. the um, the RINs that are positioned on top of the uh, low carbon fuel standard credit out of California and, and Oregon and and that we will see moving across many other states and then across Canada and Canada it's called the clean fuel standard uh, that takes effect in 2022 and 2023 and for 2022 uh, uh, liquid fuels 2020 um, three for gaseous fuels and they both will start respectively in on June 1st of those years. So we could have a much bigger role there. Um, and, um, and then the RFS uh, uh, maybe expanding it a bit, you know, yep. and, uh, making it for uh, which a number of associations have been fighting for is to get 
EPA to implement <clears throat> the um, electricity under the, um, which came in in the 2007 Energy Act, the Energy uh, Security and Independence Act, but EPA never implemented it. And that was to uh, allow RINs to be used for uh, electric vehicles. And it could also be used in the electric charging uh, stations. So, you know, we'll, some things like that. Interesting. So currently, RINs, uh, that's, those are only available on the gas side, not on the... Well, they're on the fuel, on the liquid fuel side too, and they're available in the statute for electric, electric vehicles, but it hasn't been implemented for electric vehicles. So it Got can it. be used for liquid fuels and gaseous fuels, both, um, I mean, it's a transportation market. You know, and California has been talking about um, an interesting pivot to where it would, the LCFS would go beyond vehicular fuels to industrial applications. So imagine how broad that could be. Sure. If something like that could be done at the federal level too, uh, it could make things very interesting. Yeah, really, really interesting. Uh, well, thank you for the commentary there. Uh, it's really good insight. Um, and so for our viewers and listeners um, who might not be as familiar with, with some of what we're talking about, um, go back and listen to Mark's first episode because we cover a lot there as well. But the, the Department of Agriculture, the USDA, and the Department of Energy have uh, loan programs you know, available for developers of all sorts of different projects. And uh, Mark has recently had a, a really great success uh, enacting some language and some legislation that is kind of helping change some of those rules to be a little bit more developer friendly. As I understand it, Mark, um, you know, there's timeline issues with the program as it, it sat before. Uh, it was very expensive to apply for these programs and um, you know, get through the process. So talk a little bit about uh, your role and your, your recent success, um, kind of starting with the problem, you know, what were the issues with these programs? And then we'll get to how you, how you were able to solve some of those issues. So the Department of Agriculture's programs have, they've got three major um loan guarantee programs, one for first commercial and two for commercial, commercial meaning um, that someplace in the world, the technology is operated for 12 months successfully, first commercial being something less than that. And those programs have helped stand up a lot of the various industries in renewable energy and so it's electricity and fuels. In the first commercial, it's it's basically been fuels, but it got expanded to chemicals and to bio-based products. At DOE, um, which is where we got the big win, their first commercial program is the Title 17 program. And so that has a designation, the section number is 1703, and um, that came in uh, 
started to come in in 2005 with the Energy uh, Policy Act of 2005. It got bumped up in the 2007 Energy Independence and Energy Security and Independence and Security Act. And then um, we didn't have a, uh, a statute again, an energy statute, although it was tried multiple times since 2007 until uh, Trump signed in the, the, uh, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 on December 27, 2020. And uh, in that, it had a new energy act as part of that. It was a very broad statute. And uh, in that there was buried in it a section 9010 that um, myself and um, the uh, AFCC, the Alternative Fuels and Chemicals Coalition that I mentioned earlier, which I stood up with uh, two other people in February of 2019. We're now up to over, get close to 100 members. But in that, we um, lobbied a provision that we wrote and uh, the 919010, which opened up a program at DOE that had 25.5 billion essentially stalled. <clears throat> there, there have been 34 closings and $37 billion in senior debt that I've been involved in most of all those um, closings, but the last one was 2014, the last original closing. Wow. And so there's 25 billion left in the fund that's just been sitting there since 2014? It got, it got uh, in the 2009 uh, Stimulus Act, it was increased in size, you'll recall, and then um, some of that money got moved into the Cash for Junkers program, remember, to get rid of a lot of the used vehicles. Yep. So it pulled it down. And then, um, so there were a lot of closings after that, but what's left is $25.5 billion. They haven't appropriated anything more into there. And there's still another program for alternative vehicles called the ATVM program with 16 billion still available. And in addition, there's a tribal energy program at 2 billion. But what we got done was in the title 17, which is 1703. So there's renewable energy, advanced fossil energy, and nuclear energy. So there's 4.5 billion in renewable energy. There's 8.5 billion in advanced fossil energy and there's 12.5 billion in nuclear energy. Now, over the years, the energy term has become a misnomer in that they have brought in supplements to increase, not in nuclear, but in renewables and and advanced fossil to broaden the program to include uh, respectively renewable chemicals and fossil chemicals or bio-based products and fossil-based products in the two programs. So it's 
it's increased quite a bit uh, in uh, in terms of its ex expanded expansion. But there's only been one closing, and I don't in 2019 for the Vogel Nuclear Project. That was a follow-on round, so I don't uh, consider that to be an original closing. The original closing was back in 2014. So we've had all these years where it's been difficult to maneuver, and the reason has been, which you recognized up front, were a multiplicity of uh, fees for borrower fees that are paid to the government and there's the underwriting fees, which are, you know, anything a a, um, a borrower would pay to a bank as as part of a financing. <clears throat> so, and then uh, the borrower fees to the government have not been recoverable. So they didn't they didn't count as equity. They weren't recoverable as debt. Whereas the um, underwriting fees, where DOE goes out and hires their own lawyers, accountants, and consultants after part two is, um, is put in place, you've got that completed and you're ready to start looking to whether you're going to get a conditional commitment or not, which obligates the funds. That's when they go out and hire those people. But that those fees and the fees for the developer, paying the developers, lawyers, accountants, and consultants are all recoverable in loan proceeds. So the ones that you're paying to the government are what I call a third pocket burn. They're on top of debt and equity. I mean, I've got one client that's got a, um, I believe when we calculated it was about a 4 billion, it's a larger project now, about 2 billion in senior debt. And the uh, the fees payable to the government plus the underwriting, the underwriting is a small part of that, came out to about $465 million. That's wow. a lot of money to pay on top of debt and equity. And so um, that was a problem. And the other problem was that it took too long to get a closing, even when you were getting closings. You know, it was, you never got anything done inside of 12 months. It was always 12 to 18 to 24 months. So it took a long time. So that was just keeping people out of the program, those mostly. Sure. As you said uh, in your first episode with us, you know, you, you've got to have, I think you said five or 700,000 or a million dollars of, of walking around money, you know, to go and develop some of these projects. And so even though these projects are massive, uh, when the fees are that big, it, it certainly uh, hurts the model and hurts the, the economics. Yeah, it, it's hard. But again, remember, this is a first commercial program. You can do, um, you can't, when you walk in the door, you can't have three or more of the identical technology up and operating commercially measured from the point of a conditional commitment five years back. Um, but there's a trick to get around that, which we help create with DOE called a facility plan, where you can do a multiplicity of facilities and they're counted as one project. So you just go in with one application 
you pay the application fee and you um, you can develop all these facilities, have the money set aside and draw it down over a negotiated period of time, you know, maybe something like 10 years. So it was really set up for smaller projects like smaller solar projects, but there's really nothing that says you can't have bigger projects and we're, we're using it for that. The important thing to know too, is there's no cap on the amount of senior debt you can ask for. It's limited by the amount of money that I mentioned before in each of the programs, hmm. subject to further appropriations, but is, you know, with the, with the, with the track record since 2014, Congress isn't gonna appropriate any more money to that program unless it gets going. So what we got accomplished in section 9010 was we were able to move all of the fees, including the DOE's third-party vendor fees, every one of them to closing. So wow. you can now walk in the door like you can at USDA and file an application and not pay the government anything until you don't have to worry about it till closing. The second thing we got was $25 million, not a lot of money, but it's something we're going to build on because we've opened the door now wide on this program um, to pay down fees that you're paying the borrower fees that you're paying to the government. Now, there's not a lot there. For instance, I'll give you something that's still there. There's 170 million in the renewable program to pay down the credit subsidy, which is one of the four fees. And you can get from the government up to 17 million per project. And the way it works is the borrower always pays the first 7%. Now, that 170 million is not a in the advanced fossil, nor is it available in the nuclear. So for an example, if you had $100 million of senior debt and their credit subsidy was 10% or $10 million, the borrower would pay 7% against the senior debt of 100 million or 7 million. So um, 7 million from 10, you got three left the government would pay the 3 million and there'd still be 14 million available and you could extrapolate it up until you hit the 17 million. And then at that point, the borrower still pays its first seven and they pay on top of that. So my feeling is that they probably in that program will use continue to use that 170 there, but they'll use this 25 million across other fees. Another one is a facility fee. There's the application fee and there's a maintenance fee after closing. So, um, so it'll be fixed in some way across three programs like that 70, 17 million per project for the credit subsidy Maybe it's locked in at 2 million or 3 million per project spread across all the different fees until it runs out. So we'll continue to try to get that increased, but everything's moved to closing. You got the ability to decrease the fees, the borrower fees, 
And then the next big thing we got that is huge is another shall clause like the first one, all the fees shall be moved to closing, where DOE and Treasury work together where they can, between themselves, change financial provisions in the uh, loan guarantee. You know, ahead, you know, this would be with the conditional commitment before you close. So uh, it doesn't say it couldn't be broader, but that's generally where you're going to see it. So in my estimate, and I've had this confirmed with them, there is now the possibility of getting rid of that, what I call a third pocket burn. You'll have decreased <clears throat> fees and you will be able to recover them from loan proceeds. There's still the opportunity that maybe you could get them counted as equity or some combination of the two. Um, and maybe something like a credit subsidy would be amortized over the life of the loan, over the debt service. So there's all kinds of things that could happen there, but, sure. but that's just one of a multiplicity of changes that could be made to make the program work much better and smoother. And then the other big thing we got was to put some accountability into the program. So six months after the borrower files his application, he or she, um, they can ask DOE to advise them in writing. Where do we stand? Are you gonna close? When are you gonna close? How are you gonna close? That, never been, that had never been there before. And then on 60 day cycles, they can ask again, um, but there's a limited period. Of Interesting, so before you, oh, go ahead, please. I was gonna say, so before you just submit an application and you kind of hope, you kind of hope you hear back. <laughs> right, well, there's, you're working with them, but there's no gun at their head. Sure. So now at the two year mark, which would be December, 27th of 2022, DOE has to file a report with Congress. They've never had that before, where they've got to identify every application that's in their system and what they've done with it. Have they closed them? How many have they closed? How much did they spend? Are they going to, um, uh, are they going to close on any of them that aren't closed? And how are they going to close? So then DOE's got to become accountable. And remember, the president cannot issue an executive order that funds <laughs> these programs. It has to be done by Congress. So they got to go back to the person who's writing the checks to them to get this done. And so there's going to be there's now accountability in the process. That's a big that's a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it it up. we now have a program that works right now because it was a statute. So as of December 27th, that program was open for business. Well, that's all really interesting. And I mean, even just getting the fees moved to closing, because you mentioned that these can be some seriously hefty fees. Um, and just getting the fees moved to closing, I mean, such a such a big deal and a big kudos to you for for working hard to 
make some, you know, common sense reform to a program that that's going to make it work better uh, for those who are, you know, trying to use it. And it sounds to me like, you know, maybe smaller and medium sized developers will have better, better opportunities to use these funds. Um, do you agree? What, what types of projects and developers do you think benefit the most from this? Well, first of all, just I want to give credit where it's credit credits due to the Alternative Fuels and Chemicals Coalition worked very closely. We worked as a team to get it through Congress. And there were other peop other groups in town too, other associations that jumped on board, other lawyers and lobbyists that did a lot of, of a lot of help too in being sure this got done. But um, we were able to get it the marker in. And so it opens it up to um, more carbon sequestration type of technologies. Now they're already in there. I mean, I, I could tell you what um, some of these are. Um, for instance, uh, agricultural and foresty, forestry practices that store and sequester carbon. Uh, uh, separately, synthetic technologies to remove carbon from the air and the oceans. Uh, energy storage technologies for residential, industrial, transportation, and power generation applications. Uh, technologies or processes for reducing greenhouse gas emissions from industrial applications, including iron, steel, cement, ammonia production, hydrogen production, and the generation of high temperature heat. So those are big deals. And Absolutely. some of those were already in there already, but they it's now expressly in the provision. And so um, it makes these very uh, doable. And to, and to put it in perspective, right now I've got about eight clients that were in with DOE talking or, or putting applications in. I mean, a, a variety of things, solar plus storage, renewable diesel, sustainable aviation fuel, fertilizers, um, LNG, uh, offshore wind. Here's, here's an interesting one is they could finance not only the offshore wind project, but the actual shipbuilding along with it. If you you got to do them together, so we don't have these jackup barges in the United States that built put these immense turbines into the bedrock like they do in Europe and Asia, because the Jones Act forces these non-U.S. built ships, uh, jackup barges, to stay at the three mile mark or further out outside it in the international waters. So now this gives us a way to build them here in the United States. Um, another one is processing drilling waste. Um, again, um, it's this technology actually has a low, a, a negative CI score and it's getting rid of a waste problem. Uh, Plant-based oils to open up uh, uh, stranded oil wells that need to be repressurized and uh, just straight energy storage. So there's a, there's a lot of things that can go in there, but in the bioeconomy, 
virtually anything could go sure. in there. Well, it's really fascinating stuff you mentioned. You're working on some really, really cool projects. If any of our viewers or listeners are interested in learning more, please do go back and listen to Mark's first episode if you missed it. Uh, but Mark, remind everybody how they can find you online. Are you on LinkedIn? Can they send you an email? Uh, if they want to learn more about some of the stuff we discussed today, how should they find you online? Well, they can find me on, uh, I'm on LinkedIn and I've, um, and I've also, they can reach me by my um, email address, which is M-R-I-E-D-Y at KilpatrickTownsend.com. And those would be the best ways to reach me. And, um, you know, and, and feel free to reach out. We can have discussions on how to go about this, but, you know, we're working in not just the government financings, but we're doing a lot of, uh, especially in the waste industry, tax exempt municipal solid waste bond financings. And that's another way to do it outside the government. And, you know, I discussed some of those in our first uh, podcast on how to do those and how to use various insurance products to, uh, uh, to make that even more plausible. Yeah, it's a, it was a great episode. And congratulations again on this big win. Um, I hope that you'll come back on the show. You're, you're a valued guest of ours. And I want to catch up with you later this year and hear uh, how some of those projects you just mentioned are going. Because as you said, really, really important and, and groundbreaking technology. Um, and so thank you again for coming on the show. Hope your year has been off to a great start. And maybe we'll circle you back on uh, maybe sometime late summer. It's been great. Yeah, it's been great. I'd like to do that. And remember, it's these programs like this dealing in the in the Department of Energy and the Department of Agriculture, and then with the with the tax exempt bonds, where you're placing bonds in the institutional market, where the there's a higher tolerance of risk on first commercial technologies. This is how the U.S. stands up these very valuable technologies because, you know, these inventors are not going to go to their grave without seeing their technologies built. And if we don't do them, somebody else is going to do them. So that's why it's important to keep these programs going. And that's what the Alternative Fuels and uh, Chemicals Coalition, their, their uh, uh, main purpose is to be sure that all these programs have funding. There are actually 55 uh, federal programs that have some relationship to the renewable energy and particularly the bio-based economy. Excellent. Um, and if you would, Mark, what's their website? Uh, if our viewers and listeners want to get on uh, their website or find them online. Uh that's a good question. <laughs> we'll make we'll make sure it's in the show notes. Google a, um, a it's you know probably a good place afcc.org. Uh, uh, go on Google and get uh, Alternative Fuels and Chemicals Coalition. It'll pop up. That's probably the easiest way to do it, and then you'll see a, a multiplicity of sites into it. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll see if we can get it in the show notes. Uh, thank you again, Mark Reedy from Kilpatrick Townsend and Stockton. 
we really appreciate you coming on the show for a second episode and uh, congrats again on on the good work you're doing thank you very much uh, david i enjoyed it and i uh, look forward to coming back on your show excellent take care mark <laughs>